Pulse Audio Podcast Network. The first search result on Google defines history as the study of past events, particularly in human affairs. Well, we define history as two badass babes drinking wine and talking about badass babes from the past. Woo! <laughs> Welcome to Whining About History, the women's history podcast where two longtime best friends chat about women from history you probably haven't heard of and drink a bottle of wine because why not? See what I did there? there. Yeah. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And thank you so much for joining us today. And, uh, you know, if you dig that definition intro, tweet at us because that was like a last ditch effort to say something other than hello. (laughs) Which is what I always go with. That's what we both always go with. Uh, I couldn't think of anything. And I was like, I need to go deep outside of the box. Like the box is no longer in sight. So. That's okay because it's our podcast and we can experiment and do whatever you want and you just got to deal with it or stop listening. Please don't stop listening. Please don't though. stop listening. We love you. Yeah, we love you too. <laughs> oh my God. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Uh, we're very yeah. excited to have you here today and I hope your day is going awesome. I hope you're basking in the post 4th of July glow. I hope so, the fireworks didn't scare your side dogs note too to bad. That. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. But um, my husband works with someone who's from England. And as like they were finishing the day and finishing talking, he goes, enjoy your treason day. Yes. And I'm like, that, I love that. I yeah. love that. Like, that's a thing that like, I, I'm sure he, obviously he was joking, but I love that. Like, that's no, a joke I, out that's, there. And that's funny. true. It makes me laugh. When I when I went to the Tower of London, um. I was just about to say, when I went to the Tower of London in London. I really hope people don't need that distinction. Redundant. No, London, Canada. They have a tower, too. <laughs> they might. Um, is there even a London, Canada? There is. Okay. There 100% is. It's very confusing. Oh, that's right. We talked about that. How Canada named all... Well, they the have people like a who new settled Canada named all their cities after like where they came from and so did we and actually the city Not we live in the city us. we live in is named after a different city by the same exact name because the guy came here and he's like well i really like my hometown so i'm gonna name it this and i'm like fuck you mr not creative at all and then right. he built a bar and everyone was you know fine with it but uh when i was at the tower of london uh i was going on a tour and one of the beef eaters was talking about the commonwealth and how everyone who's a part of the commonwealth owns the tower of london like it belongs to the people and then he says except for you americans because you decided to get all high and mighty and start throwing tea in the fucking ocean (laughs) like he didn't swear he's like fuck you guys and i'm sitting there like "Ah, no one identified me as an american (laughs) but i thought it was really funny i was like i still claim spiritual ownership over the tower of london because this place is amazing i'm from canada Yes, we haven't. We our accent is close enough that people from other countries, especially, probably mistake us for Canadians. I actually, I uh, would sometimes tell people I was from Canada when I was in Scotland. It was so much easier because there was one time I was like, they're like, "Oh, where are you from?" I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm from you know." And you can't say your state because no one knows where Minnesota is. No, I'm like, I'm from I'm from North. I'm North (laughs) North North. North America, I'm from the north say, of North America. Oh, I'm from I'm from the United States or America. Ooh, 
Yep. I was like, oh, no. You learn after talking to, like, two or three people just not to say you're from the United States. Uh, I, here's the thing. Like, it was all in good fun. No one was actually, no. like, discriminating against me for being from the United States. And I'm like, hey, yeah, guys. They, po- they poke fun it. at you. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get started, we do have a say their name, which doubles as a super special, amazing announcement that we're very excited about. Oh, my God. I know I was I was gonna like say something in there, but as she kept going up octaves, I was like, let's just let's just let this play out. I think I lost my voice. Oh no, there it is. I found it. Oh dang. No, I'm kidding. It was it was it was in the last place I looked. But yes, we have a super exciting announcement. So releasing tomorrow from our episode. So we release on Monday. This will be out Tuesday. So July seventh, yes. Twenty twenty. And so we are or we did partner with a amazing history podcast called hashtag history and we did an episode together for their season finale and it is launching tomorrow and everyone needs to go listen to it and then if they haven't go listen to all their other episodes because they're pretty damn amazing so hashtag history is another uh female duo led podcast where they kind of go through the darker side of history so they do a little true crime a la lizzie borden they do scandal a la the teapot dome scandal and honestly like their first two episodes are on the Chappaquiddick incident, uh, and I was hooked. Yeah. Like, oh, immediately, yeah. I was fucking hooked. And it's so good, and I highly recommend listening to them. And if you enjoy us and our friendly banter and our alcoholic influences, every episode, so they cover one story every episode. and Sometimes over two episodes. Sometimes over two episodes, because they are, they are more thorough and studious than we are. Or some... Things are just big enough to be, you know, like we talk about a person, they talk about like a whole things event. that may have spanned generations or something. But yeah, so they always pair a cocktail with their story. Sometimes it has a greater significance. Sometimes it's just like, oh, the name is similar. You know, it's kind of like us and going, ooh, the bottle's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Except, you know, with more thought and care put into it. But it's hosted by Rachel and Leah. Uh, they're also longtime best friends. And they are so much fun to listen to. The stories they cover are incredible. But they're also really important. It's so important yep. to understand the darker side of history. Because otherwise, we are doomed to repeat it. And listening to their episodes, you go, oh, shit, we are repeating. Like it's it's Some so fascinating. Yes. It is so fascinating. It's so well done. It's a really good blend of humor and like genuinely educational. Right. So it's not like a dry. I'm just gonna drone on about the year 1801. A lot of things were happening in the year 1801, and I will list no. them all now. They're very punchy. Like they're us. awesome. They are fantastic. So we did a. We did a duo episode where we covered a woman from the medical field who was amazing, and then they covered a woman from the medical field who was a little less than amazing. We're not going to give away the women, but seriously, check them out. You can find them on all major podcast platforms. You can also find them on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, like wherever. Yeah, and we'll be sharing links and everything, so be on the lookout for that. It's amazing. I'm super excited. Rachel and Leah were so much fun to talk to. I was so nervous. I was like, I don't want to fuck up their podcast. But they were so sweet. And they were so much fun to work with. Yes. They were amazing. We want them to be our new BFFs. I'm putting it out there. Yeah. I'm putting it out there. It's in the universe. And now they can hear it. Yeah. Maybe they feel the same. 
they're going to be like, oh, fuck. We were too nice to them. I never want to talk to them ever again. We'll just silently ghost them. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty far away. It's not that Exactly. Hard. It wouldn't be that hard at all. Yeah. Uh, so on that note about ghosting, no. Um, we are drinking a very nice wine today that I picked purely because of the bottle because it's pretty. Is this from the same, uh, like series as that other flower one not that i'm aware of it's a very similar bottle though so this is uh produced by a to z wineworks um and it is their oregon riesling 2019 oregon oregon or oh oregon the state i thought you yeah. said oregon no. and i'm like oregon that's oregon. unsettling because the bottle has like painted flowers yeah, and flowers bees and there's on a it. bee on it. it's very pretty i'm like what does that have to do with oregons is that like to calm me down before i end up in the tub full of ice yes exactly um I so i got a 91 this. points from wine enthusiasts which is great um, flavors of honeysuckle, lime zest, lemon balm, citron, and spice include floral hints of apple blossom and freesia over time. The wine has good intensity and no sort and no shortage of personality. Bright yet rich and smooth with a hint of sweetness. And you know how much we love a good Riesling. Yeah. Or like any Riesling. It's hard to fuck up a Riesling for us. That is true. So I'm really excited because we haven't had one. No, and that's why that's why I picked this. Like I have I think I told Emily I'm like good for like two months of wine. Yeah. And so I had to pick one for today because Emily forgot hers. Shout out. No, I'm kidding. Uh just throw me under the bus. No. And I'm actually really happy because I picked a Riesling because that sounded really good. It's an awesome way to start our long weekend for the holiday. All right. So uh I say we cheers to hashtag history. Cheers to hashtag Woo! history. Ooh, that was a good clink. Oh, yeah, that's a good Riesling. God, I need to be out on a boat drinking this Riesling. I can actually, like, a lot of times when I read the descriptions and they're like, oh, hints of this and this, I usually don't get it. But the apple blossom, I can definitely taste that. It's funny because you were reading the tasting notes. I'm like, I already know what this Riesling tastes like. Right, exactly. You could, like, taste it. Like, I have this. I have this. It's real good. Because we've had Riesling similar to this. And, yeah, it's always good. It's great. On a hot summer day when the sun is out and shining and everything's just really beautiful and summery. And I mean, which is today. We're just inside. I know. I God, should we record outside one of these days? I don't want to edit that. Yeah, no, that would be terrible. We'll get some terrible audio quality. Maybe, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll do like a Patreon thing outside. Yes. All right. Well, Kelly, you are starting us to off start. today. What? What? All right. I'm excited. I'm covering something that's going to be a downer because it involves Nazis. Oh, well, that's okay because mine's an upper. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. It's good that Up- I'm going first. You know, then. we're uppers and downers here. Whatever you need, we have something for your yeah, fix. Right. <laughs> Nazis. Oh, fuck Nazis. Seriously. Can we, can we, like, seriously? I know. I don't terrible. understand why we are still talking about this. this I don't understand is, why this, this woman is, is still amazing, a thing. Though. Oh, yeah, I know. It's, it's terrible. It's, it's stupid. And terrible. All right, ready? That's my new dating profile. Stupid and terrible. So I'm covering Andre Borel. Uh, she was born on November 18th, 1919. She was also born into a working class family in Bacon Les Bruyers, which is a suburb of Paris in like the northwestern part of France. Buckle up for those French pronunciations, yeah, listeners. I don't think there's too many, so. 
Um, she was good at sports, and her older sister, Leona, described her as Ungarkan Menke, which means which is a tomboy. Someone who's really strong. She has a, in, a lot endurance and, you know, prefers typically masculine She wore things. baggy t-shirts and wore her baseball cap backwards. Right. What? She liked bicycling and hiking and climbing, which, you know, in 1919, that's, those are not girly activities. Yeah. Uh, her father died when she was 11, and to help support her family, she left school at 14 and went to work um, designing dresses, or for a dress designer. So I guess I don't know if she did the actual designing or if she just assisted. Is this the Devil Wears Prada? Is this what the Devil Wears Prada is based off of? Is that where Probably we're going here? Not. <laughs> Let's be honest. Who's Meryl Streep in this? Right. Two years later, she moved to a different suburb of Paris. Uh, where she would spend the next two years as a shop assistant at a bakery, which is great. And then she would w- go on to work at the Bazaar de Amsterdam as a shop assistant, which I think that was it. The way it sounds is probably just some sort of like general store. You're like a sales associate or right? something. Yeah. Um, and working at that store allowed her to have Sundays off so she could enjoy cycling, which is nice. Oh, that was like her little Sunday treat. Right? I would love that. Yeah. Um, in 1939, her mother uh, advised, was advised to move to a warmer climate for her health. The south of France! Yeah, exactly. God, we are always talking about, can I get a prescription for a trip to the south of France? Because I am this close to a breakdown. And, and that's where they went. So Andre and her older sister took their mother to Toulon, which is on the Mediterranean coast. Which sounds lovely. Okay, so this went from being Devil Wears Prada to Mamma Mia. Yeah, right. So we're just moving through all of Meryl Streep's movies here. Right. Perfect. So not long before World War II broke out, um, Andre's socialist sympathies led her to travel to Spain to help the Republican government in Spain in its fight against the Nazi-backed fascists. Also in Spain. So right before the World War II, Spain kind of had like a mini civil war, but it was yeah. like revolved around the stuff still happening in World War II because it was like Nazis versus not Nazis within Spain. Yeah, because we were talking about, uh, was it, uh, was it Gerda Tarot? Greta Tarot? Gerda. I'm I'm like, uh, it was Greta to Gerda, I think. Yeah, Gerda Tarot. She was um, Mm -hmm. taking photographs in Spain during their civil war, which was during World War II. Like, what a fucked up time to be alive. Like, like you're in Spain. It's like, oh, the whole world's going to war. And our individual country is like, I can top that. We're going to have our own war. Fuck you guys. Right. As Andre realized that the war was lost in Spain, she she returned to France. Okay. Obviously. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're a, you know, socialist sympathy, sympathizer, you don't stay in a country that just lost to the Nazis. Yeah. Um, so when World War II officially broke out, um, Andre went to work with the Red Cross to volunteer her services as a nurse. She took a crash course in nursing, which was very common in World War II and World War One, and have a lot the of civil time. War, and you know they needed to get boots on yeah. the ground. She she completed in January of 1940, and that qualified her as a nurse to serve um, in France, helping. So she worked at the Hospital Complementaire in Nimes, um, France, in early February. Um, though she was sent back 15 days later following a decree that nurses under the age of 21 were not allowed to serve in hospitals. And she wasn't 21 yet. Okay. This decree was revoked a few days later and she was sent back to the hospital. Goddamn. She, she was sent to a different hospital, but she was sent back to a hospital, this time in Beauclair, France, 
One of her coworkers there was a lieutenant named Maurice Dufour. And when the hospital was closed, they were sent back to that ho- hospital com- complementaire, which was the first hospital she worked at. She's just like, guys, can you just fucking put me somewhere and I can just work? Okay. I'm so sick of the bouncing around. This could have been an email, guys. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Towards the end of July, that hospital was to be closed. Um, And at the request of Dufour, which was that lieutenant that she had met at the other hospital, um, Andre was allowed to resign from this quasi-military institute, after which she immediately went to work for an underground organization that this lieutenant was involved in. So basically, she was like, he was like, hey, I have this other gig for you. So since the hospital is closing, I can pull some strings. We'll get you, you know, like out of the military so that you can come help in my underground resistance. I imagine he asked us like Joey Tribbiani, like, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah, yeah no, you want to work like for the French too. resistance? Just remember, we don't share food. <laughs> Try doesn't share food. Okay. Um, at the beginning of August of 1941, so full swing of World War II. Oh, shit. I just realized what Meryl Street movie we moved into. Fucking Sophie's Choice. God damn. They ruin everything. They even ruin Meryl Street movies. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Andre and the lieutenant established the Villa Rene Teresa in Canet. Plage. Okay, so there is a bunch of French <laughs> which was also on the Mediterranean coast um, near the Spanish border. And they established this to kind of be like a safe house that it was right after that really hard road over the Pyrenees, which we've talked about before. Um, because my one spy and her wooden leg had to cross oh, Virginia over the- yeah, Hall with you. Cuthbert. Cuthbert. Fucking Cuthbert. Um, so they, they had made the safe house and it was for, you know, people fleeing the, the Nazis from Spain. I'm sure, pe- you know, sympathists in, in, in France is kind of a little bit of everything. And they not only established this house, but they went on to establish an escape network, um, which was supported by the MI9, which is like the British. Is it? It says MI9. Don't you mean MI6? This one says MI9. Really? Yeah. The British British Directorate of Military Intelligence, Section 9. Oh, okay. Which was a department of the war office between 1939 and 1945. Okay. Yeah. MI6 is James Bond. This is MI9. Well, I know, but it's still like British intelligence. And here's the thing. This is coming from the girl who spent the first half hour of a class looking for the room because I thought it was B-19 and it went B-16, 17, 18, 20. They like purposely skipped B-19 to fuck with me and I'm running around this basement of this building and I see the teacher looking out the window at me like kind of like the fuck is she doing and i look i'm freaking i'm like there this room literally does not exist i look again at the schedule b16 i was like well fuck me i guess so i would not sixes, have gone to that class i was so embarrassed it was my second semester of freshman year so the professors like are not like you get one day as a freshman to fuck up you get the first day of your first semester to fuck up and after that, it's like, you should fucking know. I'm like, I have dyslexia. Don't right. be mad at That's me. That's why I wouldn't have gone to that class. I would have emailed the professor. I was super sick. I'm so sorry. Like, she would. She I was- would have lied out my ass. <laughs> I don't even care. She saw me 
and I like yeah. The then shame you just go. I was face. looking for the bathroom. <laughs> I was shitting my pants. Haven't you ever shit your pants? And then she told me I ne- I didn't even shit my pants when I was held up at gunpoint. Right. Because she was. Was she really? Oh yeah. No, she oh, had some terrifying. fucking stories. That woman was went through some shit. Yeah. So. They worked with the MI9 to help British airmen that got would that would get shot down. They would help SOE agents, which is I don't know. Why that I that's that like um, I think that's like the French uh, resistance people. I yeah, I thought that was maybe what the United States called themselves before they were the CIA. I don't think so. Mainly because she becomes part of the SOE. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know why I didn't write it down. The Special Operations Executive was actually a British World War II organization. Uh, we are both wrong. Man, I'm really glad you caught up on that because the first, like, four results on Google are Secret of Evermore, parentheses video game, System Operational Effectiveness, which is the U.S. Department mm-hmm. of Defense, Statement of Expenditure, which just can't nice. be right, and then Small Open Economy, which is a market model. So oh, none Jesus. of those were helpful. So yeah, so it would help British airmen, SOE agents, which are British intelligence agents, as we've learned, Jews and others escape from German-controlled France, and you know if they were coming across from Spain as well. Um, this villa was small, and it proved to be too small, so they went and rented another villa because. <laughs> space. Um, Man, there's so many people escaping the Nazis. This is crazy. However, toward the end of December of that year, they had to close down because they were compromised. Shit. Um, However, both Andre and the lieutenant uh, were able to escape over the Pyrenees um, by mid-February to Spain. So they kind of went the opposite direction. Yeah. And from there, they ended up in Portugal and then to England. Uh, The lieutenant Dufour went first uh, he flew over in March of 1942, and Andre came second in April of 1942. So that you know they've kind of stuck together, which is nice. Okay. Soon after landing in England, uh, Andre uh, was taken to the Royal Patriotic School and the MI5 Security Clearance Center. Okay. So, so they're all just they parts do of come it. in. So basically, like. I don't know if it's still all arrivals on the continent, but at this time, all arrivals on the continent had to go through this. Like, it was basically, like, kind of a mini background check. Oh, because, yeah, they were, they, uh, they didn't want to let straight Nazis up in. shut out Germans. Yeah, like, no, if you yeah. were coming from Germany, which was really unfortunate because, you know, a bunch of Jews were coming from Germany because they didn't right. feel safe for some reason. So this is what their report on her read, or part of it. Badass bitch. Miss Burrell's story seems perfectly straightforward. It is corroborated by Dufour, who, on arriving in England, vouched for her. She is an excellent type of country girl who has intelligence and seems a keen patriot. From a security point of view, I can find nothing against Miss Burrell and recommend her release to the FFF, which is the Free French Forces. What did they say? An excellent kind of country girl? An excellent type of country girl. Excellent type of country girl. That's going on my Tinder profile because none of yeah. it is true. I catfish um, someone. <laughs> so Andre, so she was released to the FFF, which is perfect because she wanted to join them anyways. And as I said, that's the Free French Forces. Okay. Because they like alliteration too. Is that different than the French Resistance? Or is French Resistance just like an umbrella term for any French organization that was like, fuck the Nazis? Um, I think this was like a specific one. 
um, that were like specifically like in exile, okay. like that weren't in France. Okay, so they they had to piece out of the country, and they were kind of operating from the UK. Yes, and okay. it was actually led by Charles de Gaulle. Oh my God! I call Charlie that all the time. Nice when when he's being extra fancy. <gasps> Charles de Gaulle, who's a little Charles de Gaulle? We go for the Nazi, just a baby. <laughs> I love my dog. You're funny. So they, while she was really enthusiastic about joining them, they were not as enthusiastic about her. That's okay. Charlie's not very enthusiastic about most people, too. Right. It's because she had worked so closely with the British in her previous posts, like, because that, you know, that safe house she ran was to help British officers and stuff like that. And she refused to divulge any of the information she knew from that time period because, of course. Yeah. So they didn't really like her. Um, So she was subsequently approached by the Special Operations Executive, which is a British organization, um, and joined it on May 15th of 1942. So she was like, fine, you French people don't want me. I will go back and work with the British because they actually want me to work with them. Which, I mean, come on, being a secret agent, that's sweet. I love there are so many options to be a secret agent. Like, pick one. Just pick one. Right. (laughs) She obviously excelled as being a field agent. Like, they, she was everything they were looking for. And they actually said, this is her interviewer to get in. And remember, they pursued her, so they, but they still interviewed her. Well, yeah. So, quote, since arriving in London, she attempted to join the corpse feminine of the free French movement. So, like, they had, like, a female corpse. Yeah. Obviously. Because why not? Everything had to be segregated. Core, I think technically is how you're supposed to say it, but I always say corpse. (laughs) I'm like, why add the P and the S if you don't want me to pronounce it? There you go. Okay, so, uh, but they had made it a condition that she should give them all the intelligence concerning the organization for which she was working for in France. This she refuses to do, and apparently they refuse to employ her unless she does so. I think she would make an excellent addition to our own corpse feminine and it should not be difficult to get her. She said that she is perfectly willing to let us have the information. She refuses to give the free French. Probably because, you know, it's British information and yeah. she would be working with the British. That's how I view it anyways. I, I understand at this time information is absolutely power. And so I understand her not wanting to give it up. But like I feel like the the triple f should kind of like oh man i respect a bitch who can keep a secret i'm sick of getting compromised all the damn time right exactly so she undertook the training once she was assigned and did become a field agent with their f section so within france in particular for some reason the british were very keen on getting france back france was a really like high profile it was because it had paris and like it was Shit was going down in France. Yeah. Um, but she worked specifically in their F section because they broke France up by sections. Oh, I thought um, that was going to stand for female. No. Cool. Um, and officially, she was signed up in the first aid nursing Yeomarnie. That's probably way wrong. Which is an independent all-female uh, group. Their nickname was Fanny because that's their acronym. Was it Yeomandry? There's no D. Oh. Y-E-O-M-A-N-R-Y. Yeomanry? Yeomanry? Yeah. I've heard of a yeoman. For, first aid nursing yeomanry, we'll go with that. Also known as Fanny, so I'm just going to call it Fanny. Oh my God, I love that. so much that. better. Did I, did I ever tell you the uh, about the Fanny Pack debacle when I was in the yeah. UK? Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell our listeners because it's amazing. So uh, 
when I was in Scotland, I was there over Halloween and I had a, uh, a fellow student who was on the trip mm-hmm. with me uh, who wanted to dress up as Jane Fonda from the workout videos for Halloween. And so she's going around and she needs a fanny pack because Jane Fonda was very 80s. So it was the leotard, the tights and the fucking fanny pack. So she's going to costume shops, clothing shops, and she keeps asking, do you guys have fanny packs? And they all look at her. With this, like, either disgust or complete confusion and say, no. Like, why would you even ask that? Well, she found out from her stepmom, because we had, like, uh... Yeah, you had, like, host we, we, families, essentially. Yeah, we didn't live with them, but they would take you on, like, excursions to yeah. get to know the, the country better. And so she found out from her stepmom that, in the UK, fanny pack means, like, pad, like, for your periods. And uh, what we as Americans know as a fanny pack is called a bum bag over there, which I'm like, that's worse, guys. <laughs> because fanny is slang for vagina. That's interesting. Yeah. So she is here, going. Fanny is another term for butt. Yeah. So she is going to all of these costume shops, clothing going, shops. Do you guys have pads? Do you guys have period pads? And they're like, why the fuck would we? Because she's not going to, you know, the local drugstore right. thinking they're going to have bum bags. Like, my God. I kind of like bum bag, though. It, the but it kind of makes me there. think of, uh, like, what? Colon, whatever. The col- coloscopy bags. Colostomy bags. bags. Yeah. That's what it makes me think of when you say bum bag. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, well, that's so what they call it in Australia. She, yeah. <laughs> so she joined Fanny. Um, and she was promoted to lieutenant when she finished her training. So Damn. They were like, you know what? You got what you need. You know, they were very impressed because she was intelligent. She was, you know, she was fit. She did well, like, keeping things secret. She was, you know, like, she, she was, was self, awesome. She was self-reliant. She was basically everything they wanted. And they were like, yeah, you got this. She was killing it. So she was ready to kill Nazis. And maybe. they were sure she would, you know, do amazing. Yeah. Which, why wouldn't she? She's yeah. going around like, who run the world? Girls. Who fight the Nazis? Girls. Yeah, exactly. Don't sue me. Uh, that was not good enough to sue me. You know it, Beyonce. A month after France signed the armistice with Germany because France gave up. Because France. Dude, the Nazis were fucked up. Like, Yeah, no. So that that's when the SEO was originally formed. Apparently, I put that in a really weird section. Oh, no. This is when they like launched all of their stuff. Okay. Um, so Major Maurice Buckmaster, which is apparently the only non-female person in the F section, or, well, I guess she was Fanny, which was all female. Anyways, but he led the F section of the SEO, which operated in parts of France, who they were majorly women. Wait, the SEO or the SOE? S-E-S-O-E. Okay. Sorry. I'm so like, many search acronyms. engine optimization. Yeah, exactly. Although apparently the F section, while it wasn't all female, it was primarily female, probably because it was like Fanny and then a few other groups. Yeah. So it was like Fanny, which was all women. Appropriately named. Right. Okay. I'm on board. One of Andre's first missions would really put her down in um, history, because of course not. Her She was given the code name Denise, um, and she was traveling with someone named Lise. 
who probably had a lease who probably had a code name but i don't know what it was maybe lease was the code name um it rhymes i would watch that show i don't i don't think so denise and lease single ladies living in a city apartment so okay so it wasn't necessarily just denise she also had the nickname monica or Monique, sorry. I was going to say, you, is this you, just friends? <laughs> so she went by both. Those were like both of her code names. And then Lise was Odelia or Odile. O-D- I like that. O-D-I-L-E. O-D-I-L-E. Odile. Odile, sure. Odile. Yeah. Odile. So they got the fun mission to be parachuters. That's oh, the, super fun. That's what was decided, apparently. I love that, though, because they're like, no, 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 you can do this. You can parachute. That's fine. That's not just a dude thing. I thought they were going to be like um, posing as courtesans or something nope. like seducing Nazis. But I love this. So just before nine o'clock p.m. on the night of September 24th, 1942, pilot R.P. Wilkin flew a Whitney bomber um, from England on this operation that they called Operation Artist. Artiste, because, you know, French. I like that. Um, his mission was to drop Andre and Lise. So Andre at this time was 23. Lise was 37. So they were going to fly him over to France, drop them by the River Leor in Nazi-occupied France. Um, Andre jumped first, so she gets the honor of being a, the first female parachuter. Love it, man. She is the uh, the Neil Armstrong to Lisa's uh, of Buzz the Aldrin. of the SEO, like yeah. they are yeah. SOE. My notes actually have it wrong, which means I went dyslexic and typed it backwards. That's okay. We're dedicating this episode to dyslexia. dyslexia yeah. It is a problem, um, guys. So it's she, hard. she became the first female agent of the SOE to be parachuted into occupied France during World War II, which is pretty badass. So they landed safely, which is great. Um, they landed in a meadow, actually. Um, oh, lovely. And were near the village of Boisrenard. Boisrenard. Uh, Lise went on to go to her assigned point, uh, point which is Pointier's area. Um, and she actually went on, accomplished her mission, and returned to England by August of 1943. Go, Lise. Polite golf claps. Andre was assigned to be a courier for Francis Sutil's new Prosper circuit within Paris. So this was like supposed to be like a because the the British like had circuits or sections. So she was going to be the courier for this new like section operating in Paris. So she was passing messages to different and and just helping this Francis dude. In general. Okay, cool. Like, because when they first, when she first arrived, she showed Francis all around the city because obviously she grew up in that area. She yeah. grew up in a suburb of Paris. She knows her way around. That's got to be so tragic to be like, this is my home and to see it taken over by Nazis. I mean, that place must have been trashed. Right. Exactly. I can imagine. So God. she she went and she showed him around. You know, she like was like, this is what's going on. And he very much became started to rely on her because you know he he realized like she knows her stuff she's tough like clearly she's a badass and he said quote she has a perfect understanding of security and an imperturbable calmness impenetrable yep. nope i m p e r t u r b a b l e imperturbable yep. all right we learned a new word today 
And, and in, I know I didn't even look it up because it was a quote. That was the secret <laughs> word. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for having sent her to me. She is the best of all of us. Wow. That's what he said about her. Thanks. You gave me the best fucking partner. You guys must want me alive. And despite being only 23, she became the second in command to him. Like, he was like, no, this girl knows her shit. Like, she's. Gotta on love top a man that recognizes greatness regardless of gender. Right. And what's great is that, like, it wasn't just this tiny section, it was of that whole, like, network of people. Yeah. Like, she was the second in command. On June, tw- however, on June 24th, 1943, Andre and the Prosper radio operator named Gilbert Norman was arrested in Paris. No. Francis was arrested in Normandy. No. Other people, um, such as Henri Derricourt, that's that lieutenant. Oh, no. Uh, who, like who was their French air movements officer? And he, well, I think that's the same guy. Let me double check. I'm like, is it the same guy? Because if it's the same guy, we don't like him anymore. Oh, no. Is Henri an asshole? He is. Henri, god damn it. Um, I'm like, where's my other dude's name? Okay, no, the other guy was Dufour. Okay, okay. And this guy is... Okay, Derek Court. Henri Derek Court, who was their French air movements officer, but was apparently also a double agent and basically just gave everybody up. Henri, you goddamn son of a bitch. So in May 1944, the Nazis transferred Andre from the Fresnes prison, which is uh was a prison slash concentration camp in Paris, where she had spent the last year um in the civilians women's prison. Um, and they sent her to Germany. God. At first, they just sent her to like a women's prison in Germany. Damn it. Um, however, on July 6th, they transported not only her, but other SOE agents, Vera Lay, Sonia Alchesnik, or Alches, oh Jesus, this isn't even in French. I don't know what language that is. Alsechensky, kind of sounds Russian, um, and Diana Rodin. So they, this these four women, they transferred them to the concentration camp of Natzweiler Struthoff, which is one of the big ones that was not God not damn good. It. Um, it was also the only extermination camp in France. God so damn. So you kind of know why they're being sent Mother there. of God. Okay, this is just going to be, be me saying God damn it for the rest of your story, isn't it? Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> so, so all four of these women were F-section agents. So they were all from that same section that um, she was as mm-hmm. well. So I have like something in my throat. That's called sadness because this is awful. Yeah, this is. So these agents were treated no differently than other prisoners, um, which was actually markedly. So this 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 is this is a quote, I guess I put in the wrong section because this is about when they were in. The prison, not the concentration camp. Okay. So the agents were treated no different than the other prisoners, but this was still markedly better than in concentration camps. They were given manual work to do, such as peeling potatoes, sewing, etc., which actually helped them pass the time because they at least had something to do. I was going to say, like, it sounds awful to be put to work by your captors, but I'm like, God, I I think I'd rather be like sewing than just sitting in a room or a cell like with nothing. Exactly. However, they could hear the Allied bombers and other things, you know, heading into Germany as, you know, through the walls of this prison. You know, the war was unmistakably coming closer 
to this prison and to the end, obviously. That's got to be kind of hopeful, but also terrifying because the Nazis are being backed into a corner. And when animal is backed into a corner, like that's when it's the most dangerous. It just fucking lashes out in the most ridiculous and awful ways. So now back to... Yeah. So they were actually... Between five or six in the morning on July 6th, the four women were escorted out of the prison... Given their personal possessions, escorted by two Gestapo about 100 kilometers southwest in a truck and brought to the concentration. So there, there was only 100 kilometers between this prison they were in and this this concentration camp they ended up. So basically the prison must have been just on the German side of the border. I was going to say, I am imagining like, I'm like, why would they go like to Germany from France to Germany and then back to France? But I guess if it's only like a hundred kilometers, like, I mean, that's, that's still enough that it took it, took them until three 30 in the afternoon. Jesus. How many miles is that? So, so they're, they're being moved from the prison in Germany to the concentration camp in France. Yep. Okay. That's 62 miles. Why did it take them so long? I don't know. It says 100 kilometers, though. The women's arrival was apparently actually unexpected. But when they got there, one of the people that was escorting them, one of the Gestapo, were like, yeah, it doesn't matter that you're not expecting them there to be killed immediately. Um, so what was unusual is women did not usually go to this camp. That's why it was one of, like, super unusual. And when they showed up, the guards were like, uh, guys, (laughs) like, so their presence was immediately made. They were marched through the camp, you know, like, look look who we got, you know, and, and because it was women, you know, well, so they were led through, publicly shame exactly, you know, they were led through the center of camp down to a cell block and held there until later that night. A French prisoner said, quote, one could see from their appearance that they hadn't come from a camp. So they were probably still decently well fed, you know, because they came from a prison, not a camp. So they didn't look gaunt and terrible like okay. you see people from concentration camps. Where they're, they're e- being worked and starved to death. Yep. He said they seemed young. They were fairly well groomed. Their clothes were not rubbish. Their hair was brushed. And each of them had a case in their hand because they were given back their belongings i okay this is all really weird to me and i'm hating it like yeah i it, it feels it's very weird. suspicious I know. and i hate all of it uh, the four women were initially put together and then uh later divided up into in- individual cells through the windows which faced the infirmary they managed to communicate with several other prisoners that were nearby uh one of which was named dr jorge's Bugar- bugardus who passed one of the women who he later identified as andre from from a photograph, he gave her some cigarettes and she threw him some money. Got like smoke she, him if you, you know, got him, I guess. One of the other women exchanged uh, words with a different doctor who actually had rec- who recognized Andre because he had worked with her in the past at one of the hospitals she worked at. Oh my god! Um, he was able to to say that either Leah or Rowden was English because she told him that. Well, it's it's so important that this information is getting out because that's how we know where these women were and what happened to them because people knew them or recognized them or were able to later be like, oh, yeah, 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 this is the woman I had those right. interactions with because otherwise their stories would be completely lost. Right. So this physician who was actually Belgian went on to tell tell the courts, quote, I saw the four women going into the crematorium one after the other. One no. went, and two or three minutes later, another one. So they were being escorted by the SS guards 
from their cell block over to the crematorium. Inside the building that housed the crematorium, supposedly each woman was in turn told to undress for a medical check. The doctor gave her an injection of what he told them was a vaccine against typhus because that was rampant in the concentration camps. Um, But it was, in fact, a dose of phenol, about 10 cc's, which is lethal. Oh, my God. The women would then become unconscious. She would then insert it into the oven and cremate it. And they just didn't want to. Oh, my God. Supposedly, I was, as I'm she, so mad because I was kind of hoping this would work out. No. I was be, just because, because it was of, so weird. Yeah. Well, just because, you know, they, they were being treated okay-ish in the prison. They were removed. Like, I know getting moved to a concentration camp is never a sign of, like, good fortune. Right. But I'm just like, I don't know, maybe, like, that the allies are coming. And they must have been thinking right. that. Like, the, we're so these, close. These four women were... Classified under what was known as Notch and Navel, which was apparently very a very common thing. It means night and fog. And it was a, G- a German um, classification slash code word, which is a directive that meant they are to disappear without a trace. God damn it. There is testimony, because Andre was only 24 years old at this time. And there is, a baby. There is testimony that uh, one witness said as they were being dragged to the crematorium, that Andre was still fighting and that she scratched her executioner's face and was just like I mean what the fuck freaking do you have the to fuck lose? out exactly like so so they didn't just go there willingly they were like fuck you fuck you no i'm sure they knew what eyes. was happening you yeah know? you no one just walks you to the crematory that's not where you get your vaccines right next to the ovens what the fuck god that's awful so this is what someone said this is this one's rough um okay because originally the one doctor he went and stoked the crematorium like before the execution okay and then he was sent back to his room however it was it they had a small window above the door so that the prisoner in the highest bunk on the other side of the wall could keep or kept running commentary on what he saw oh my god so he is giving the play-by-play of these women being murdered so this prisoner they later found out was franz berg who also assisted at the crematorium because i'm sure they like were made to well yeah no blame Um, on these but basically so they had sent the person who had stoked the fire home and then they locked the door from the outside this is berg's recounting yeah um, so we heard low voices in the next room and then the noise of a body being dragged along the floor. And he whispered to me that he could see people dragging something along the floor, which was below his angle of vision through the fanlight. So this is the, like, this is someone, someone commenting yep. on what the play by play was. Yep. I, I shouldn't be saying that, but at the, the same the... time that this body was being brought past, we heard the noise of heavy breathing and low groaning combined. And again, we heard the same noises and regular groans as the next two insensible women were dragged away. The fourth, however, resisted in the corridor gordor i heard her say pourquoi which means why why. uh and she i recognized the voice as the doctor who was in civilian clothes say poor typhus which means you know she she was like why am i getting this shot and he's like oh it's fine uh we then heard the noise of a struggle and the muffled cries of a woman i assumed that someone had held a hand over her mouth i heard the woman being dragged away she was groaning louder than the others from the noise of the crematorium oven doors, which I heard, I can state definitively that in each case, the groaning women were placed immediately into the crematorium no. oven, 
When the officials had gone, we went to the crematorium oven, opened the door, and saw that there were four blackened bodies within. The next morning, in the course of my duties, I had to clear out the ashes of the crematorium oven. I found a pink women's stocking garter on the floor nearby. Shut the fuck up. So they, I was, I was even going to ask that because he's talking about how, you know, the women are groaning while being dragged. So they've been incapacitated and immediately. So they were alive. Uh, Yeah. Hopefully not Not, aware. Probably not. Oh my Um, God. And then, yeah, more witnesses after like one witness was like, oh, I, I, I saw people fighting came forward and were like, yeah, that the last woman who they're pretty sure was Andre, like, yeah, put, like I said, put up a fight and scra- like scratched her accuser's face and the other thing is there wasn't really men in that room like it was basically like the doctor and one ss agent because yeah. of course they're trying to keep it like on quiet. the hush but yeah so like and yeah that that's what they're saying the the camp executioner the next day had been severely scratched and they're they're pretty sure andre did that i hope it got infected and his face fall fell off uh the camp doctor who had given them the injection um was sentenced to five years or was executed. Franz Berg, who assisted at the crematorium, um, got five years in prison. Was he uh, an SS officer? It doesn't or a say. It just it just says his name, so okay. I don't know. Uh, he did go on to receive the death penalty for a different crime and was hanged. I I'm gonna hearsay headcan that he was a fucking Nazi, right? Or at least willingly working with them. Yeah. Um, and then the camp commandant uh, received a life sentence and Straub, who was um, most likely the person putting them in the crematorium, uh, was sentenced to 13 years. Yeah. All those people should have been like fucking shot or something. Uh, yeah. Well, and- they were hanged, like most of them. Yeah. But yeah, still. Here's here's the thing. You know, nowadays we talk about personal opinions and politics and how everyone's entitled to their own opinions. I want to remind everyone that being a Nazi is not an opinion. It is an ideology rooted in hate and death. Literally, the only goal is to kill people. And they they like to use the word eliminate or like to preserve the Aryan race. That involves murdering people. Yeah. And that is anyone they don't like. Don't think you're safe. Don't think you're immune. Don't think, well, it wouldn't happen to me. No, it it was terrible. Like, they just took anyone that they, like, anyone the, like, that went against what they thought. Like, I, I feel like these stories are so easy to put as far away and so long ago. But can you imagine her knowing she's about to be and fighting for her fucking right. life? She was like, there Fuck is this. no one to help her. She knows she's going down, but she's not going to go down without a fight. And then being put in that crematorium however conscious or aware she was but she knew what was going to happen to her yeah fucking a i'm i am really upset right now i know we talk about like these world war ii resistance fires all the time maybe it's the this mood i'm in but this bad, is though. i think yeah. it's because we usually get and they were executed or they disappeared yeah, you know no, this one was this, like no she fought for her life and then, we but get they this really detailed yeah, know, insight into her I last moments i i questioned keeping it in but i was like no it's so poignant no, it's like, so important to share this story it's yeah. hard and that's why it's important right i know i was crying when i was writing my oh notes. my god like, so following her arrest the soe produced a citation for an award for her this is what it said this is a long one but it's good 
The officer was parachuted into France in November 1942 as an assistant to an organizer in the Paris area. She proved herself as an able and devoted lieutenant and was appointed second in command of the organization. Owing to her cool judgment, she was always chosen for the most delicate and dangerous work, such as recruiting and arranging rendezvous, and she acted as, quote-unquote, cutout for her commanding officer. Lieutenant Borel was also given the task of organizing parachute dropping operations and took part in several... Uh, notably an operation against the Chevilly power station in March 1943. She distinguished herself by her coolness and efficiency and always volunteered for the most dangerous tasks. Her commanding officer paid tribute to her great qualities, describing her as, quote-unquote, a perfect lieutenant, an excellent organizer who shares all the dangers. Lieutenant Burrell was arrested by the Gestapo in July 1943 for her great bravery and devotion to duty during the nine months of active underground work in France. It is recommended that she be appointed a member of the Order of the British Empire. I'm like... Goddamn. France went on... So this is obviously my legacy section. France went on to award her the... Croix de Guerre, which is La Cross of Guerre, uh, and the Me- Medallion de la Résistance in her recognition of de- the defense of France. Britain war- reward- awarded her the King's Commendation for Brave Conduct. Um, the concentration camp where she died is now a French government historical site, and there is a plaque for Andre and the three other women that she was with. Um, as one of the SOE agents who died for the liberation of her country, she is listed on the Roll of Honors on the Valenque SOE Memorial, which is this huge memorial that lists wow. like all the all the SOE members that died in action. Yeah, and there were a lot. There was a lot. I mean, when you were talking about Virginia Hall, there was a one point in your story where uh, everyone around her. I mean, they were dropping like yeah, flies. It was bad. I and you know what France kind of has this reputation for being like cowards in war and I'm like I'm sorry have you heard like any stories about the French resistance like there there was an armistice but they fucking did not give up there were so many people fighting and dying right for that cause it it was ridiculous she's also commemorated in column three of the 26 panel Brockwood Memorial as one of the 3,500 quote to whom war denied a known and honored grave yeah quote. because she there was nothing yep i don't and even then, know what they what they did with well, just cre- ashes. remains uh i think they just dumped threw them, them out yeah yeah just um, the most disgusting disrespectful thing in 1985 an soe agent um who had become a painter by that time brian stonehouse who actually had seen these women march through the camp because he was there like he was in custody at the time yeah um and so he saw them right before their deaths painted a very poignant watercolor of the four women, which I haven't been able to find. So I'm going to keep trying to look for I was, it. I was literally just about to Google that because and I'm I going have to, to see it. Um, put that on the blog. But yeah, so she's had like a number of movies. There's actually a really famous French film called Odette, which is based on her. But there's like a number of other movies and shows and like a whole bunch of stuff. Like, most of them are older. It looks like the, the most recent one, I think, was, like, 2004. No, there's a 2008. But it's French. I don't I don't speak French. But, like, her, her memory has been kept alive not super well, at least not here. I was going to yeah, say, like, I've, I've never heard of it. The, the thing is, there were so many men and women and, you know, non-binary people, either or, neither nor people who fought and died to resist the Nazis. Right. And 
some of them kind of rise to the top of our like cultural consciousness and others do not. And but every single one of their stories, like you were talking about that SOE memorial that lists all the names. Every right. single one of those people had an entire life's worth of a story to tell. And all we get sometimes are their names. I know. It's insane. Imagine everything that's been lost. I know. That's one of the I, reasons I don't like we do this podcast. That it's very sad. Well, that's one of the reasons we do this podcast. And we cover women who are not as well known because there are a trillion books on Amelia Earhart and Eleanor Roosevelt and some of these very famous and amazing women that doesn't detract from how great they are. Mm-hmm. But there are so many women whose stories just do not get told and aren't a part of our cultural conscious. Right. And they should be. Yeah, I agree. So you said you have an offer. Oh, are you done? Yeah, that was it. Okay, well, I might need to take a break to cry. Okay, I have cried when doing my own stories. I started welling up. That is the first time I've started well up during one of your stories, and that's not to detract from any of the other tragic stories that you have told in the past, because God no, knows there are so many. That one's hard. Just because they had such a detailed account of her last moments. Yep. All four of those women. My God. So, <laughs> I am deeply thankful I chose this story for this week because I had a lot of fun researching it. There are some like enrageful moments, but like it all turns out for the best. Good. So today I am covering Agnidas, who is generally credited as the first female physician or the first gynecologist. Wow. So long, 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 long ago in ancient Athens, there was a woman named Agnidas. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm sorry. I, I looked up the pronunciation eight times and then even before we started recording and some of them just sounded wrong and this is the one that just felt right. So this is what who she is. Born into a wealthy family around the 4th century BCE, Agnidas witnessed the poor medical care offered to women. Now, at the time, there was a culture of shame that made women reluctant to seek medical help from their for their magical vagicals from male doctors. That was fantastic. This led to a high mortality rate for infants and mothers during childbirth. Less fantastic. Yeah. Perhaps inspired by this, Agnidas dreamed of becoming a doctor, but there was one itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny little thing that stood in her way. It was illegal for women to practice medicine. Shocker. Just so itty and so insignificant. This was a relatively recent development from before Agnidas was born. Previously, medical care for women was almost exclusively provided by other women. These women weren't trained doctors, but rather close friends and relatives who had been through labor themselves and would coach like other women through the process. So it was kind of this like... Um, they would share their, it was like a giant mommy blog, except I hope there was less mom shaming, but they would all like share their own experiences and, you know, coach other women through the process. Like, okay, you know, I know this hurts, but just, right, he, like, he, yeah. they were kind of like he, midwives or doulas or, I mean, that's literally what they were. These women became known as Maya or midwives, and some even turned it into a profession. So sometimes it was just like, oh, my sister-in-law's pregnant, you know, and I've given birth, so, you know, I'm going to use my knowledge to help. And right. other women turned it into their their livelihood. 
That's awesome. So they would, you know, deliver children, perform abortions. Uh, they would provide contraception education. And they would teach others the practice of midwifery. So keeping the knowledge moving. And they were basically addressing all gynecological yeah. needs. They could also allegedly help women influence the sex of their baby. Although this was likely ineffective. I mean, you have a 50-50 shot. Like, come on. This gave women greater sexual independence and the ability to control their reproduction, which is huge for bodily autonomy. Like, a woman should not be pregnant if she doesn't want to be. Like, like right, why? Yeah. Like, this isn't a flippant thing. Why would you bring another life in the world if you don't want it? Like, come on. This, however, intimidated the patriarchy who depended on passing down power through a lineage. If women had autonomy over their sexual reproduction, men lost control. It was very important for women to just get pregnant when gentlemen wanted them to. To protect their power, men began to dominate the medical field. Hippocrates, who we get the Hippocratic Oath from, uh, he's considered the quote-unquote father of medicine. He significantly helped this effort by opening male-only medical schools. So first, men are like, we're going to go into medicine. And then the men are like, we're only going to teach other men about medicine. Eventually, women practicing medicine or even midwifery became a crime punishable by death. The same punishment for having an ounce of weed. Because <laughs> we're, I mean, if we were just going to overreact, we might as well overreact across right? the board. Yeah, why not? So women who had once turned to other women for birthing and reproductive help were too ashamed to seek help from male doctors because the male-dominated culture made it shame. Like, women were ashamed of their bodies. They were ashamed for men to see their bodies. So, like, it's really easy to blame women. Like, we'll just go to a male doctor. It's like, no, you are actively shamed into not seeing a doctor, and we can't discount that effect on people. Yeah. This resulted in male doctors looking down on female patients as stubborn and as if they just didn't care about their health. Women need to cover and never show their genitalia. I don't understand why women won't come to me with their genitalia. They must not care about their health or want to live. What a bunch of stubborn cows. It also resulted in a spike in infant and mother mortality rates because women are not getting help with giving birth. Right. To overcome this legalized sexism, Agnetus cut her hair short and dressed as a man in what was definitely a dramatic Mulan-esque montage. Yay. Like, there was some epic music, there was thunder and lightning, there was like a dragon statue flashing in and out, like, it was amazing. After un- undergoing her transformation, Agnetus began studying medicine under Herophilus an early autonomous in Alexandria. So, like, he's he's kind of a big deal. This whole scenario is definitely the basis for at least one show, Joe manga. Or ten. I would read this manga. Right. I am 100% sure this manga is out there. Like, add us and let me know which show, Joe manga, most closely relates this story. Anyway... After Agnetus completed her romantic shoujo education, she began practicing as a doctor. Yeah, There was definitely, like, some love triangles in there. Like, I could see this as a harem anime, like, with a female lead. I would love that. Now, legend has it that while walking through the city thinking about her love triangle from her college days, 
While still dressed as a man, Agnetus heard the anguished screams of a woman in labor. Like fucking Wonder Woman, she rushed towards the string of expletives to find a struggling woman. Because Agnetus was still dressed as a man, the woman was initially distrustful and told Agnetus to get the fuck out. To get the woman to calm down, Agnetus pulled her robes to reveal her breasts. Do not tell me this is not a manga. (laughs) (laughs) This is the only time... That flashing someone will calm them down. Do not try this at home or anywhere else. No, yeah. Flashing does not work. Did I ever tell you when I got flashed by a woman? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, my friend and I were at a bar and we were sitting by the window and this chick walking by was just like, like it was fucking Mardi Gras. And I'm like, okay. Yep, I needed that. Yeah, I'm like, man, I hate when guys like pull out their dicks. You pulled out your tits, which it shouldn't be illegal to pull out your tits because they're just like fat pecs and men can be shirtless. But like, I don't know. I I had to see that. I, I went down this like, should I be offended? Like feminist kind of rabbit hole. And I was just like, okay, I just got flashed by a woman. I'm, that's just a story I have now. I like that. Reassured, the woman allowed Agnetus to deliver her baby, which she did without issue. So mama and baby, okay. Word soon spread amongst women of the baby-delivering flasher, and Agnetus, under the guise of a male doctor, began treating women like crazy. Nice. Her true identity as a woman and her medical expertise made her a high-demand doctor, To the other male doctors, Agnetus seemed to have access to an untapped medical market. You know, just 50% of the population. This made male doctors suspicious. How could this person come out of nowhere and become the most popular doc on the block? Surely she was seducing all the women in town. What else could it be? They were furious, mostly because they hadn't thought of it first. Right, exactly. Wait, I should be seducing all of my female patients. Why didn't I think of that? The male doctors also accused women in the city of faking illnesses as an excuse to be seen by Agnetus, i.e. fucked. So they're like, oh, no, 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 you're you're pretending to have menstrual cramps because you want to get boned, which actually, you know, having sex can help with that if you're into it. It was these accusations that led Agnetus to be put on trial for having affairs with every woman in Athens. And, like, doctors should not be having affairs with their patients. That's a clear abuse of power. But I love that they're taking issue with just, like, well, our women are being sexually satisfied elsewhere. How dare they be sexually satisfied? I don't even do that. If they're getting it somewhere else, then I have to start trying. Standing before a jury, Agnetus knew that simply saying, I am not fucking your wives, I'm just a good doctor, wouldn't convince the all-male jury. I love this. Uh, women Agnetus helped were also not permitted to testify on her behalf as women were not allowed in the court. In an attempt to defend herself from the jury's accusations that she was boning her way through the city's women, Agnetus again Pulled back her robes to reveal her rack. Taking a page from Phryne's book. Right? Yeah. Look at my... <laughs> Look at my boobs. Oh, my God. I'm trying to think of, like, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. 
If the tits are fit, you must acquit. <laughs> it worked the last time. Right. So, you know, I mean, maybe it could work again. Like, unfortunately, it didn't have the same result. Instead of calming the jury, it whipped them into a furious rage. So emotional. Right. Not only had the women been practiced, had not only had a woman been practicing medicine under their noses, but she had had also become the most popular doctor in the state. Like, if she sucked, that would help their case. But she was right? really but good at like, being a doctor. Agnetus was sentenced to death. Jesus Christ. Right? That, that's a little intense. Well, they did find a little, like, dime bag of pot on her, so. She would have, like, gotten probation, but, you know, she had weed on her. Upon hearing the news, the women of Ath- Athens whom Agnodice had, okay, Agnodice, her name is spelled Agnodice, mm. and I had the hardest time, like, correcting myself while writing my notes. Yeah, I can imagine. So, uh, the women whom Agnodice helped treat were fucking pissed. They stormed the assembly and demanded that Agnetus be released and pardoned. A lot of these women were high status and many were wives of the very men who were condemning Agnetus. They cried out, you men are not spouses, but enemies, since you are condemning her who discovered health for us. Because you wouldn't fucking do it. The women also pointed out that Agnetus was the only reason that many of the men's wives, sisters, daughters, and children were even alive and hadn't died due to illness or childbirth. Like, come on, guys. When confronted with the wrath of the women of Athens, along with the realization that Agnetus had literally saved their lives, the men not only released Agnetus, but changed the law that forced her into the guise of a man in the first place. Now women would be allowed to legally study and practice medicine with the caveat that they only treat female patients, boo. But like, okay, we're taking steps in the right direction. Right, it's going in the right right area. And like, here's the thing, you know, any doctor should be able to treat any patient. The dudes were definitely not going to go to female doctors, though. So it was like... that cultural change would have would would come i mean people still have some problems with that i i i'm i'm kind of sexist i prefer to have a female for my gynecological issues but i have gone to a male before yeah and it was fine Oh, and and yeah, there there there's no harm there. I definitely get more self conscious. Yep. And here's the thing, and that that's really what it is for I me too. I super shouldn't because any male gynecologist has fucking seen it all. Like he like my, my pussy is not packing anything that he is going to like shock. Right. Him. And if it is, it's probably going to shock a female too. Yes, like. exactly. Agnetus was then recognized as the first female physician and the Aww. first female gynecologist. Yay. Legacy. Okay, here's where it gets a little sad. Unfortunately, historians doubt Agnetus was a real person. We largely know her Herstory story. Her story head cannon. She's fucking real. Ten She's amazing. She definitely flashed her tits for freedom. We're here. We largely know her story from an account by Gaius Julius Hyginus, which like, is that where we get hygiene? Hygiene, that's what I was thinking too. I love hearing these old Greek and Roman names like, oh, I bet that's where that comes from. Uh, So at best, this account was exaggerated and at worst, 
totally made up. Evidence to support this comes from the opening lines of his story, which state that there were no midwives, even though we know that is straight up false. Right. I think you could also make the argument that they were covering the legacy of female midwives. You know, like, no, 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 no one ever touched those magical vagicals before. Right, exactly. Like, because the women wouldn't let us, you know, because we totally weren't being assholes about it. We weren't being pervy. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. We totally weren't, like, body shaming them. They weren't spreading their legs. And we were like, ew, it looks angry. God. There is also a common theme among stories like these of women stripping down to prove a point, a la Phryne, who I covered previously in the titty defense. Still my best defense. Did not work out for Agnidus, however. Did not. Uh, and, and, like, it's kind of a trope. So when we see these stories of women, like, flashing their tits for freedom, it's kind of like, uh, okay. That's like I guess. the secret evil twin trope. Like, it's right. so played out. Despite this, her story is an interesting framework in with which to examine the state of women in the medical field in Athenian culture. So I learned a bunch of cool stuff. I'm happy I did the story. Yeah, I think it's a great story. I think it's also worth noting that men and women practice different types of medicine long before the Roman Empire. Oh, yeah. Even if it may have been far from what we would consider modern medicine. So the idea that there were no female doctors before Agnidus or even the Roman Empire, I'm like... I take issue with that because imagine in the early days of humanity, a woman is giving birth. It seems very natural for another woman who's like, oh, shit, I pushed a human being out my back. Let me help you. Like, I totally get what you're going through, you know, to, to provide that education. And even with menstruation, you know, it's like, oh, no, 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 I bleed out of there, too. Here, let me let me like help you out or let me right, coach like- you through it. You know, why do things that make sense? And I also, I feel like, like, you know, Greek culture and Roman culture are kind of seen as like the pinnacle of modern Western culture. And (laughs) and I don't want to, I don't want to diminish their advancements and their contributions because they're huge. But I feel like to put them on a pedestal also ignores Eastern cultures, indigenous cultures, who are all doing just fine before the Roman Empire. Oh, yeah. You know, so regardless... Hursery headcanon, Agnidus was treating ladies, saving babies, and showing her tatas for freedom. Woo! That's beautiful. <laughs> that was a real... I'm going to cut out how long that pause was, but I was like, I, I feel like I've ended on a really strong note and I don't want to keep talking. <laughs> no, that was beautiful. I just didn't know like what to follow that up with, so I was just like... It's hard to follow flashing titties. Right. By the way, I also just want to know, I talk a lot about women in a biological sense in this story. Obviously, not all women have vaginas. Not all women menstruate. Men can menstruate. Men can have vaginas. So I'm I'm not trying to be exclusionary. For the purposes of this story, though, she was treating people with vaginas. Yes. So. Yes. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. So there you go. There's your bummer and then upper. Yeah. Of. I... I, I found my energy back. Like, at the end of your story, I'm like, I don't want to tell mine because I am so bummed out. But I, I found I found I my found light. It. it was good. This was is good. the light. <laughs> so, Kelly. Yes. I'm thankful that I get to go back to work. 
I'm excited for you. How are you feeling about that? Good. I know it's I'm been like, no, I'm really excited. many months. Yeah. So yeah, they called me today and they were like, can you come back early? And I was like, yes, please. Because I know um, I know the hospital where you work had uh, publicly announced that they were going to start bringing back people earlier than they yeah, anticipated. Yeah, and then they, they said by the end of August, everyone will be back. And for me, it was supposed to be end of July, and now it'll be like mid-July, which I'm fine with. You know what kind of sucks about this whole situation? A lot of things, obviously, but I'm going to touch on a very specific thing that, you know, does is not greater than right. other things, obviously. But it, it's easy to look at this like, oh, my God, you got this long paid vacation. Lucky you. No, because one, we do thrive on structure, but also you can't really do anything with it. Everything is closed. Travel is restricted. Like if you're being responsible about yeah, just, your just actions, you know, you shouldn't be. This isn't. Oh, we're going to fly to Hawaii now because I have the time. Like right. it's a it's a really weird time in history that we are living in and. Make no mistake, this is a historical time that will hopefully be in history books. If they, if I mean, they should, if they Jesus. equate this to a footnote, I'm going to be pissed. Right. Then, if our podcast is, isn't still going, we're going to have to restart it just to talk about that. Yes. Oh my God, Hursery Heroes from the era of Rona. Yeah, there you go. Yes, that's going like to be our that. spinoff. Um, what are you thankful for? I am thankful. Uh, so I have a friend, Robin. Hey, Robin. I don't. I don't know if she listens. I don't think she does. But now, if she does, this is a fun little treat, right? Um. So she has. She also has a Chihuahua, like my my baby Charlie, Charles de Gaulle. The cheese. And uh, I love. I love her chi. She's such a doll. She's such a baby. Um, unfortunately, she has really bad separation anxiety. And Robin lives in an apartment. And when people who have been working a night shift at the hospital are trying to sleep during the day and a chi is barking on the other mm. wall, it makes it kind of hard. Yeah. And so they were put in a really um, unfortunate position where they were like, oh, my God, do we have to, like, rehome our dog? Like, are we going to get evicted? Like, it was just a really... yeah. I get that. Bad situation. So they did find someone who uh, had a house and who could like kind of dog sit throughout the day. Uh, Unfortunately, that situation is no longer available. So Robin came to me and she's like, I feel really bad asking this, but would you be willing to like to watch her to watch Dixie during the day? And, uh, you know, I talked with Jared and we're like, well, we'll try it out for a couple of days. Dixie is the sweetest fucking. She is like I've only met her twice i think and yeah she's just a sweetheart she loves to curl up in your lap and just sleep like she's kind of like a cat <laughs> plus you and know she, her she, and charlie are just little boyfriend and girlfriend they are in love with each other those but, the picture of them in, like sleeping together in the bed this morning was yeah. so cute oh my god i was doing i was i was at work at yeah. quote unquote work and both of them were in my lap like sleeping oh, was together. that on your lap i thought they were in a dog bed i think i sent you one of them sleeping together in the dog bed but this morning they were both like laying in my lap That's adorable. like crossways and so um we did like a couple days to test it out it's going really well so we'll keep doing it and i'm i'm really thankful it worked out i'm thankful that we could help them out so they don't have to like rehome their dog or like worry about getting a fit because they have tried everything they've tried meds they've tried collars they've tried soundproofing they've tried everything they just can't find anything and she just she just does not do well when people leave so it's been a good situation i'm glad it's working out and hopefully it'll continue to be a good situation so i'm i'm glad 
that we could be there and that's working out because I was like, oh my God, I don't want to have to tell Robin that we can't watch her dog. <laughs> right. I'm, yeah, I'm glad. Yeah. It was smart to do a test period though, like just in case. Well, yeah. And I, I, I don't think Robin would have expected any less because, um, you know, our dogs get along with Dixie, but when it's an extended period right, of you just time never know. in their own home, you know, you, yeah, you never know. So, so far, great. so good. good. I love her. I may adopt her. Like, Robin, if Dixie disappears, you know where to find her. Right. <laughs> you can come visit. Yeah, you can come visit Dixie anytime. Like, maybe even the occasional sleepover, but she lives with me now. She's, she's mine. <laughs> I love her so much. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Her Story mm-hmm. and joining us on this roller coaster of emotions. Yay! Please like us on Facebook at Whining About Her Story, Instagram at WAHPod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. We have a website, whiningaboutherstory.com, and our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you, whether it's say their names or what wine we should drink or what women we should cover or just saying hi. Hi, Veronica. Hi, Veronica. I still think about you, Veronica. I hope she's still listening. I know I do too. All right. Also, please rate us five stars wherever you listen. It's hugely helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry if we weren't the academic podcast that you were anticipating. But we hope you loved you it anyway. Appreciate us for who we are. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, babe. Bye. 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 Your babes threw me off. <laughs>